Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro. Today, I shared my coffee break with Bernard Blacher, CEO of The People's SEE. The People's SEE are a decentrally governed organization that are the service providers of the eCredits ecosystem. Aimed at empowering local economies, eCredits are dubbed the people's currency, offering an alternative way for customers and small merchants to interact, bypassing some of the operational issues SMEs have that restrict their competitivity. Having launched in various European countries, they have found their strength in providing an alternative payment system in areas that have had historical issues with fiat currency. In their Luxembourg office, we spoke about the system and some of the challenges they have had to account for in their journey. Okay, hi Bernard, nice to meet you. Hi Isabel, nice to be here. To begin with, how about you tell me what gets you up and motivated in the morning? I have a super easy time getting up in the morning and oh, being yeah? motivated. Essentially, all it takes for me is waking up, opening up the blinds, seeing a bit of daylight that's necessary for me, and then I'm good to go. No coffee, no nothing. Just a glass of water afterwards. Perfect. Nice. So you are motivated from the get-go. That's how it works usually, yes. <laughs> what attracted you to the people's SCE, uh, e-credits, and made you go into becoming the CEO? <laughs> Well, it's, it's the whole sentiment behind the project and behind the company, right? Because I've been working in the blockchain sector for, what is it now, um, s- seven years, I think, upcoming. And I've seen my fair share of projects and things. And there's one thing that, that the binding component that makes this whole thing accessible to the broad public and the, to the mainstream, as people say, uh, that is what essentially the people's SCE and e-credits are trying to fulfill. And I tend to quote a good friend of mine who always says he's a bit older than I am and he always says uh, with web3 technology we are where internet was in the early 90s maybe so it is there uh, we see some t- some things that can be taken over by it but nobody really has an idea of where it's going to be in the next 10 20 50 years right and this whole opportunity for the whole industry I see that combined in the people's I see and that is what attracted me to it in the first place Nice, nice. Um, so tell me about these e-credits, which kind of underlie, I guess they underlie what the people's SEE does, right? The e-credits. So what issues do they hope to solve and how do they work? Yeah, so e-credits is essentially the brand that we are building and the product that we are building from the people's SEE and the people's SEE is the company behind it. Both of them equally interesting, but eCredits has the easiest pitch I have ever had in any of the companies that I built or took part in building. And that is, if you want to use cryptocurrencies in daily transactions, we make it possible. That's what eCredits does. The way we do it is essentially we enable transactions at merchants for end consumers. So just imagine your everyday situation. You go to a bakery, you go to a grocery store. And you would like to purchase a good or a service. And then at the end, you're at the cashier and you don't do the transaction in cash, but you do it in cryptocurrencies and the technology to enable that. But most importantly, I call it the usability layer to enable that. This is what we build and this is what eCredits is. Okay, great. And so do you provide kind of um, interfaces and kind of hardware for people to do that really easily? Pretty much, yes. So we are mostly software oriented or oriented uh, and that means that end consumers mainly use our app and cashiers can use whatever they want so the easiest way to get started as a company is to simply download the cashier app 
sign up and then you're good to go as a cashier. Uh, on the other hand, if you're, for example, a larger corporate and you have uh, tens or hundreds or even thousands of employees and all of them might be cashiers and use e-credits, then we also have POS integrations and so on. So mostly we are software oriented, oriented, but we can also use existing hardware POS. Okay, cool. And what are the major issues that they're trying to solve? Why would people choose e-credits over kind of normal cash? Well, uh, I think there's two perspectives to look at this from. The first mm -hmm. one is why would they use it uh, over normal cash? Uh, and I would also add the, the aspect of why would they use it over normal credit cards? Mm -hmm. And the former one, that's, that's pretty easy because cash is, is quite complicated, right? Uh, I'm not sure about you, but I've ever since I started paying for my own stuff, which has been quite a while by now. Um, I had the problem of never having the exact amount of cash that I needed. Then I tend to travel very lightly. And so whenever I had my, my bills and got coins back, that would be a hassle. Uh, and then additionally, and that's more on the political and, and, um, financial spectrum of it. Cash is still to this day the number one currency that is being used to conduct any kind of crime or money laundering or terrorism financing. And that is something that cryptocurrencies by itself can solve. So that's the one side of it. And also something that uh, a lot of merchants don't see when it comes to cash is there is a hidden cost to cash because they, the, the merchants always say, yeah, but cash is free. So even if I don't want to accept a credit card, I can still accept cash because that's free. That is not true because at the end of the day, you still need your cashier to essentially count the money, bring it to the bank. You still have the banking fees involved. Mm -hmm. So there's a hidden cost to cash as well. And then there's credit cards on the other side. And credit cards, they have been growing for decades now. And one of the problems that exist when it comes to credit cards is, first of all, there's a lot of middlemen. And each of these middlemen, they are taking their share. That makes credit cards rather expensive, actually. Uh, then the second problem is that they are rather slow. So at a credit card, usually as a merchant, you don't get the money immediately when it's paid. You have to wait for a couple of days. In some cases, you have to wait for a couple of weeks until you get the money paid out and can actually use it. And just think of the, the way a merchant uh, is, is uh, using their stock, essentially. They're buying it from someone. Uh, usually, they have some payment terms that allows them to hopefully sell all the goods uh, before they have to pay. Uh, so they, they, they don't have to take the risk for their entire stock, which is massive, right? And if the credit card then goes ahead and says, yes, we are going to take a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, then who's paying for the stock? The merchant is. So essentially it costs them a lot of money because credit cards are much, much slower than cash or cryptocurrencies for that matter. And lastly, there's the security aspect. So, uh, it's, it's not news to anyone when I say that, uh, that trade essentially and, and all kinds of kinds of purchases, they shift to online more and more and more. And they have been doing that for, I think, decades by now. And, what that leads to is a lot of chargebacks on credit card systems. Chargebacks in this case, meaning essentially that somebody goes ahead and says, hey, my credit card has been stolen and I didn't do the transaction, so please give me back my money. Uh, the credit card providers then usually book that back and the person who pays for that or the, the entity who pays for that is the merchant. And they, in many cases, have shipped the product, have provided the service, and still they have to pay for it. And these chargebacks are actually quite a risk when it comes to online purchases because depending on the industry, this is somewhere in the zero point something area, but goes up to the, to the single digit percentage, up to 5% in some industries. And that, of course, eats into the margin that the merchants 
have. And all of these problems are being solved by e-credits and the way we are setting up this entire ecosystem. And then usually when we're talking about cryptocurrency related, there always comes the question, why e-credits over any other kind of currency? And that is essentially, uh, the, or I, I tend to answer that with a counter question. That is, why hasn't anybody or why isn't anybody using other cryptocurrencies right now on the mainstream market and very widely spread? The reason for that, in my opinion, after seven years in the industry is uh, there's just no usability. It's very hard to use for the merchant. It's very hard to use for the consumer. Uh, you, you don't really have the, the usability that you can use it just like you can use uh, Apple Pay or Google Pay. And that is also what we are solving on that side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's where you guys come in, where your main role is, making it more usable then? A absolutely. Mm -hmm. So once again, to, to stress that quote regarding the internet or the Web3 being where the internet was in the 90s, that is that is what we're doing. So it is there. Everything works. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just making it usable to the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um I mean, there's other payments things that are being developed right now, like A to A transactions. What makes e-credits and kind of the application of blockchain preferable to these other developments which in the payment sector which are trying to solve these very issues? Actually, I have a, what I think is a very good example that just happened a week ago or two. Okay. And I think that's quite interesting because... What I did is I sent money from my bank account here in Luxembourg uh, to a certified financial institute, a licensed uh, financial institution. And uh, they essentially sent me an email a couple of days later where they told me, please don't send your funds there. And I asked them why. And they told me, well, it's a crypto platform. That's what they called it. And I asked them, okay, but the transaction I did had nothing to do with crypto. It was a SEPA transaction. And I can actually prove, I have documentation, that these funds are still there in euro. They have never touched cryptocurrencies. And they told me, yes, but generally we consider this a crypto platform. And so you're not allowed to send your funds there, your hard-earned money, you're not allowed to send it there. And so I started questioning them and asked them, so what is the criteria for a crypto platform? Because crypto platform is not a legal term, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. uh, I assumed they were referring to a virtual asset service provider or something along that lines. And they replied that they didn't really have uh, that, that definition for the crypto platform. And so I asked him to send me an exhaustive list or, or some kind of criteria uh, that I could use to decide on if I was, according to their terms, allowed to send my funds to the platform or not. And they didn't reply to that and or did not really give me an answer. They were just like, yeah, it's subject to internal investigations and whatnot. And so I started questioning that again. And I asked them, uh, could you confirm to me that if your only criteria is that they have some kind of connection to cryptocurrencies that I would also not be allowed to send my funds to N26 or Revolut. And they once again just didn't reply to that. And the point that I'm making is, why are we doing all of this? And the reason is there is, a, I would call it traditional finance, and there's a big industry behind that. And they decide 
what we are allowed to do with our money. And that is, that is problematic because I do understand and I'm very much in favor of any kind of compliance measures that have to be taken. That is just a sign of the time. I'm, I'm the last person to say, Hey, I would like to find some terrorism over there. I never do that. I'm also the last person to launder any money because that's, I, I, I don't see, uh, why, why I would do that. But I do understand that there need to be measures taken to prevent that. However, those those compliance measures are taken as an ex as an excuse to essentially decide what you can do with your money and i would bet on the fact that this decision by my bank was not made due to risk reasons it was made for one of two reasons either it is for a lack of understanding which is not what should happen in compliance right so if they restrict me from the use of my money they should understand what they're restricting Or it was made for business reasons, meaning they don't want people to get less dependent on the banking system that we're having nowadays. And both of those reasons are not good reasons at all. And that is why I think it is very overdue to have a system where people can interact with each other financially or generally, not just financially, but also when it comes to values in general, without having middlemen that tell them what to do and what rules to adhere to when it comes to me interacting with friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And that is why we're building this in the end. Okay, so the e-credits is more kind of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, payments rather than Yes, else. 100%. So we are we are peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, we are completely decentralized. So there's not a single entity in the middle Uh, that can prevent any transaction from happening. Mm -hmm. And that is what we stand for. So essentially solving all of that. Yeah. So once the people's SE uh, kind of implements their software, after that, it's decentralized and there's no kind of outside. Okay, that's really cool. Exactly, yes. Um, so do you see this being applied on a mass scale? Uh, how would it get to that scale if that is the case? Well, That is always a point of discussion, right? Because what we're talking about here is clearly a marketplace problem. So usually uh, a marketplace problem is, is referred to when you on the one side have to build uh, the merchants and on the other side have to build the users. And ideally at the same time, because you won't get to the users unless you have the merchants and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, absolutely. The goal is to have this deployed on a mass scale. And we are on quite a good way. So we have uh, started the product less than a year ago in April of last year. Uh, right now we are, uh, we are at uh, 120,000 active users. Um, and I think we're closing in on something like 5,000 merchants. Wow. And for a year, that is pretty good. In my opinion, I'm very happy with that, especially when looking at other, uh, companies that build up payment systems. That is, that is quite some growth that we're having there, which also uh, shows the need that there is for a platform like this, right? Mm -hmm. And how do we get there? In the end, uh, we have, as I said before, two sides that we have to fill up. We have the user side and at the user side, we can work pretty much like any other fintech or software uh, company. We are doing a lot of digital advertising. We are doing a lot of out-of-home advertising. And that brings us in users at quite quite interesting and quite intriguing customer acquisition costs. And on the other side, of course, we have to uh, do the more costly uh step of, of onboarding the merchants and the way we do that is uh, essentially we are we are using 
the users that are really fans of our product, that really love what we are doing and that really love the, the mindset and the idea behind it to go out there and act as what we call ambassadors, meaning they go to merchants and they ask if they wouldn't like to accept e-credits. And usually as they already have the first customer there, because usually the ambassador is also a customer that would like to pay with e-credits, it's very easy to then convince the merchant that they should accept that because the target audience is clearly there already, right? And so that's how we're growing on the on the merchant side. And that's how we managed to grow both at the same time. And that is working quite well so far. Mm -hmm. One thing that um, kind of jumped out to me as a potential problem is uh, e-credits aren't stable coins. Yeah. Um, how do users like merchants maintain value when it's not kind of linked to anything that we already know? Yeah, and that, that is an excellent point because, of course, I mean, the underlying problem is as the merchant, if I accept cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrencies are known to be volatile, mm -hmm. and then ideally at the end of the day, I sold a product for 10 euros and what the, the, the money, the cryptocurrency that I got is now worth 11 euros. That's the better of the cases. And it's still additional accounting effort that I have to take, which is also not ideal. And on the other side, the product or the, the, the cryptocurrencies that I got for the product I sold is now worth nine euros. And so I lost one euro or 10%. Mm -hmm. That's of course terrible because I still have to pay my taxes in, in, in fiat currencies and I have to pay my suppliers in fiat currencies. So the way we solve that is by a feature called instant trade, meaning as soon as the merchant gets the cryptocurrencies, they are forwarded to an exchange and exchanged into fiat currencies, meaning if they don't want to, we leave them the choice. But if they don't want to, they have zero risk exposure to the volatility of cryptocurrencies. Okay. And they can adjust their prices according to what the price is of the e-credit that day. That is automatically done. So essentially the, the merchant says, I'm selling a good that is worth, they can of course uh, enter the price in a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. The majority, the vast majority of the merchant says, I'm selling a good for again, 10 euros. Mm -hmm. And we automatically convert the price and suggest, okay, this is the amount you should be paying. And by the way, I didn't mention it before, we are, we're of course accepting a payment in our native cryptocurrency e-credits, mm -hmm. but we are also allowing for uh, payments to be done with Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies. So it's not just our native cryptocurrency, uh, we're allowing for a multitude of them. And essentially we, we do the the price conversion, we do the automatic transfer and via the API of the exchange, we also do the automatic conversion. So after a couple of seconds or let's say minutes, just to be safe, they have the actual fiat currency on their exchange account. Okay. Yeah. No, my next question was going to be, why didn't you use uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin initially? But you obviously do. So. Well, we do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um Do you foresee any potential challenges in the future with the MICA legislation um, and general increase in regulation? Well, ch challenges is a very broad term, right? So yeah. Yeah, yes, I absolutely do. Uh, I've been, so I'm also a board member at the Digital Asset Association Austria, mm -hmm. which we founded in 2018, pretty much solely for the purpose of uh, advising regulators on how to regulate cryptocurrencies back then. And we have done that for almost five years now. And we have essentially yeah, accompanied the, the Mika from its baby steps on and given a lot of feedback on that topic as well. 
And I'm very happy that Mika is out there. I, I really like that as the European Union, we have something out there where we are actually trying to classify cryptocurrencies and essentially assign them to the regulation that other assets that fall close to these kind of use cases for cryptocurrencies would also be assigned to. For example, uh, if, if, if we're going, uh, to the, to, to the, um, MIFID regulation, uh, there, there's a lot of overlap there. And essentially Mika is filling that gap. And that is a great step. I really like that. However, uh, in my opinion, it does not go far enough. Okay. And the reason I say that is what is the purpose of regulation? Usually it should be to protect the consumer. And the regulation as it currently is and as, as the state of Mika is doesn't really do that because when I'm looking at the big downfalls of cryptocurrencies that we've had over the past couple of months and years, uh, most, most uh, prominently currently is FTX, of course. Mika would not have prevented that. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't uh, because there is no check in any kind of regulation that we currently have for uh, liabilities on uh, consumer-held assets to the extent where it would have prevented FTX from acting the way they did. And I think that is where uh, Mika is lacking a bit. It is a great first step, don't get me wrong. I like that it's there. I just see it as a foundation that has to be expanded on, and I hope it will be. Okay, okay. So this is just the beginning of the regulation and you want more to come? Well, I want more sensible regulation. Okay. So there's there's always the two sides, right? Yeah. On, on, on the one side, you don't want under-regulation, because that leads to problems, because we are trying to do everything right. We are based in Luxembourg, a EU country with a regulator that does have a lot of expertise on cryptocurrencies. And we are very much willing to go for a license should there ever be one that fits the business model that we have. Mm -hmm. um, and on the other side, with under-regulation, you still have uh, companies that don't do that, that just operate from the Cayman Islands for example, in, in yeah. that specific case, and can still offer their services in the European Union to some extent, as long as they're not ever advertising. And on the other hand, you have overregulation. And a very good example for this is what has been happening in China for the past couple of years, where they've always been going back and forth, trying to find some middle ground between, okay, we completely prohibit cryptocurrencies, any kind of cryptocurrencies whatsoever. And no, we're actually still allowing a bit of it. And that pretty much destroyed the market over there. And right now there's no real, no real use to start a cryptocurrency company in China, even though that would be a very interesting local market for some companies. And that is what happens if you overregulate. And then, for example, in the EU, we had the discussion. How long ago was it? I think half a year ago, roughly where there was a discussion on actually completely prohibiting um, proof-of-work consensus algorithms, mm -hmm. which I do understand the reasoning of, but I I don't think there was any kind of second thought on this because in the end what would have happened if that had gone through and luckily it hasn't uh, is it would have just been other countries going ahead and not prohibiting that and the entire value creation that proof-of-work blockchains are still having within themselves would have just happened outside of the European Union. And I mean, beyond that, the idea was that proof-of-work is kind of environmentally uh, bad, and I do absolutely agree to that. However, would I rather have, uh, so I'm Austrian myself, would I rather have uh, that high energy consumption in a country like Austria, 
where I know for a fact that a majority of the power is generated by by uh, hydro plants or, or wind power or solar power, uh, or would I rather have it in a country where nobody bets an eye if 100% of the power is coming from brown coal, which is, uh, to my knowledge, at least I'm, I'm not the expert on that topic, but to my knowledge, is it is the most environmentally damaging way of creating power that we have nowadays. And I'd rather go for the former than the latter, right? And so... What I'm saying is if something is regulated, there has to be a lot of thought put into that and there has to be a lot of expertise behind that to actually create proper regulation and not just destroy a market without bringing any kind of benefit to consumer protection. Very interesting. I will ask you two more questions. Uh, first of all, what is your favorite quote? Um, I think for that one, I'd have to go with a quote from, uh, from James Cameron. Okay. Um, and he said, I hope I'm quoting this right. Uh, the best way to set goals is to set them ridiculously high because if you end up in a in an utter failure of your goals, you still fail higher than everybody else succeeds. Mm -hmm. And I do really like that quote because it's true. And I think it's what failure culture should stand for. Nice. I like that one too. I'm going to use that. Um, and okay, so the final question, the curveball question. Um, if you had 2,000 euros and you had to double it in 24 hours, what would you do? Well... What would I do without giving financial advice right yeah, now? <laughs> that yeah. is the important part, right? Um, probably the best way to do that is put in a copier and try to get 4,000 out of it <laughs> because everything else that I could say right now is either utterly stupid or financial advice and in most cases actually both. Okay. Okay. So put it in a copy. <laughs> yeah. Put it, put it in a copy machine, try to copy it and try to get away with it. <laughs> And of course, just for the sake of it, this is a joke. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> nice disclaimer. Nice disclaimer. Um, uh, how can people get a hold of you or follow um, the People's SE? Well, uh, we have two websites. We have thesce.org for the People's SE, which, by the way, we haven't really talked about. So please look that up on the internet. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting concept. And then, of course, there's ecredits.com for the actual product. So if you want any kind of information about the companies, this is definitely where you could look them up. And if you want to get in touch with us, we have we are present on pretty much any kind of social media channel. So hit us up there. I'm also present on almost all of them. I don't understand TikTok to this day, <laughs> other than that I'm pretty much represented everywhere. So yeah, always looking forward to having contact with interesting people in that area. Nice, nice. I don't understand TikTok either. It makes two of us <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been really nice to meet you and talk to you. And yeah, have a good rest of your day. Likewise, thank you for having me and also have a good day. As always, you can reach out and chat to me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Rides. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. And for more Fintech podcast fun, check out the website's podcast page, where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.